Hey folks, Adam B. Levine here. Welcome to the year 2017. Today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin is going to be quick. Next week, we'll talk in more detail with other people about the surprisingly serious situation with smartphones and security. But after last week's episode, I was surprised to find that even people who had been victims of the attack didn't understand what had happened to them. I wanted to take a little bit of time today to actually explain the problem we're seeing and a few of the ways that it's manifested so far. So here are the basics. For many of us, smartphones and cell phones have become a necessary extension of our lives. We use them to interact with people, to remember everything for us, and as a constant connection to our friends, business associates, and everything in between. More recently, smartphones have been used as an extra or even bypass layer of security on top of your email accounts, financial accounts, and everything else important that you don't want hacked by a simple password. If you look at how we used phones five or ten years ago, that behavior has really changed, and that seems to be a key thing there. Phones haven't really changed, they were always vulnerable to this attack. It's just that until relatively recently, it wasn't a useful or certainly profitable attack to make. So at this point, I've heard many variations, but here's the simplified attack. Alice knows Bob's phone number and phone company. Alice calls Bob's phone company, pretending to be employed by them, and talks to Clara, who is a customer service rep for the phone company. Alice explains to Clara that Bob is standing right there in the store with Alice and that he is upgrading his phone. Of course, none of that is actually true. In order to finish that upgrade, Alice needs Clara to share Bob's SIM card information with her. Now, this is not guaranteed to succeed. At any point, Clara might ask to speak with Bob, who's supposedly in the store there, or for some kind of personal information that Alice doesn't have. If something goes wrong, then Alice just hangs up and calls back. This time, she gets Derek, who's another customer service rep, and goes through the same basic routine. If Derek gives Alice what she wants, then she can move on to the attack, but otherwise she can just keep calling until eventually someone gives her what she wants. If Alice manages to get Bob's SIM card information from Clara, Derek, or anybody else who she eventually winds up calling, she can now use that information to take over Bob's phone number, transferring it away from his phone company and out of Bob's control potentially for good. Once Alice has Bob's phone number, if he's configured his phone to allow password reset or second factor authentication, then she can use that to reset Bob's email password and take over his accounts. Once Alice has control of Bob's email account, she basically controls any other accounts where Bob uses his email as his identity, which if Bob is a security conscious guy, then that's probably a lot. Alice can also pretend that she is Bob using his identity in order to hit up everyone in Bob's contact list for loans or information to be used in further attacks. And that's the problem in a nutshell. The solution in a nutshell, though, is pretty simple too, if a bit disruptive. Basically, remove your phone as a trusted factor from your email, from cryptocurrency exchange accounts, and realize that the way the phone companies handle these sorts of requests, you can't trust your device, even if you do everything right. With the basic explanation out of the way, let's talk about a couple of the specific points of interest and how we can learn from them. First, many people have called their phone companies to have them make it impossible to have their number ported without explicit written permission or something similar to that. In practice, even though the phone company is adding this information, this doesn't actually work because those instructions are put into kind of the gigantic notes file that are created on a per user basis at your phone company. And unless a customer service rep explicitly reads through what can be a lot of information if you've had an account for a while, it's really easy to miss this. And a lot of times, unless you explicitly ask them, they put the information, they put this information, you know, do not change this uh, number to a new user without written permission under no circumstances. Uh, they put that at the very bottom of the notes. And so again, you can just see how it doesn't take 
everybody having to completely fail <laughs> to notice that. It just takes a single person to completely fail to notice that. So this is one of the reasons why Alice would call back multiple times, because the odds say that if she calls enough CSRs, one of them is going to be poorly trained or forget their training or just not care uh, and is going to forget to look at those notes. And, and really, that's all that Alice needs is just one person. And she can potentially call for weeks, potentially call for months. I mean, like there's no limit to, to when you would actually have to stop this. So that's bad. <laughs> so you might think you can fix this by talking to your phone company, but uh, it looks like you can't. Secondly, um, they actually need your information, right? So they need a phone number and they might not have that information. So Alice might actually contact Bob directly because let's say Bob runs a charity, right? Alice might email Bob pretending to be a big potential donor and say, hey, let's get on the phone and talk about this before I send you a donation. Um, another scenario is Alice might contact Bob pretending to be an employee of Bob's cell phone company. And she might be calling to ask Bob to set up more security measures. And what we've seen there is that those security measures, once they're set up, can actually be used to attack accounts that aren't able to be attacked otherwise. I'm not exactly clear on why that works, but I've seen this happen with a number of people where they think that they're setting up extra security, but in reality, what they're doing is they're giving the attacker access to their thing. So that's hard to do. <laughs> and finally, another way that we've seen this, this kind of happen is that sometimes the target itself, sometimes let's say Bob is a really security conscious guy and he's not actually vulnerable to this. Well, Bob's partner, Bernadette, might not be so sophisticated. And so what has happened several times we've seen so far is that someone's partners or significant other will uh, have their phone compromised and then text messages and uh, emails and kind of all the stuff you can do once you have that identity information that gets sent to Bob asking Bob for things. And since it's coming from someone who Bob supposedly trusts, unless Bob's really on the ball about this and is aware that it might be someone pretending to be Bernadette, but it's not, that's a risk. So unfortunately, right now, the best way to protect yourself is to be super skeptical of requests, which seem at least a little unusual, and then use another method to confirm that that unusual request is actually a correct request, because otherwise this is how people are losing money and being stolen from at this point. So third and finally, higher profile people are being targeted right now, but this attack works. This attack works better than just about anything that I've seen before, because you don't have to beat cryptography. You don't have to beat Google security. You don't have to beat any of that stuff. All you have to do is fool the phone company into, you know, having one of the people who you talk to over an indefinite length of time believe that you actually are someone who they should give this information to. And the processes by which they protect this information appear to be laughable, just terrible. <laughs> so, you know, this is another situation where being able to like sign a message with a public key that's po positively associated with your identity, like that's something that really could help you provide a real two factor where a person needs to have access to your private key. But again, that's a solution for the future. So what this means is just simply remove your phone as a trusted part of your security process if you are concerned about losing something, because this appears to be the way again. Outside of losing your password, you know, and never and not having a backup, like this appears to be the way that in the last couple of months, people are losing money and it is not an insubstantial amount. Okay. So with that said, <laughs> next week, we're going to talk about this in a bit more detail uh, and with people who are besides me. I, I don't mean to have this be a, a fear sort of thing. And I am sorry to do this at the holidays, but this is real and it's happening. And if you feel like you're exposed because you use your cell phone as a large degree of security, then now is an excellent time to revisit that decision. 
For next week's episode, I'm looking for people who are willing to speak on air, anonymously or not, about their experience with this attack. You can contact me at adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. And if you have any questions about this attack, if you aren't affected by it yourself but are concerned and have a question that I have not addressed here, please email me about that as well, adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. Andreas and Stephanie will be joining me for the next episode, and we'll probably have a few guests as well. So uh, yeah, now's a good time if you're uh, curious. Oh, and the magic word for today's show is happy. That's H-A-P-P-Y. This episode featured music by Jared Rubens. And of course, thank you very much for listening to episode 320 of Let's Talk Bitcoin.